It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week, in a further sign that the Russian military could be in trouble... It was revealed the Kremlin asked China for military aid. But will Beijing want to wade into this war? The fear before the war in, in Ukraine, there were a lot of fears. Is, you know, if there should be war, there could be a war between China and the US. And I think that's something we need to be worried about. They also don't really like this uh, sort of bellicose imperialist approach to the neighbours. And although China likes um, leaning on its neighbours, they're pretty sensitive to the idea of territorial integrity. The US has warned China not to help Russia. But at the same time, there is a role they would like President Xi to play. Right now, there's only one man Vladimir Putin will listen to. What about the prospect of China trying to exert some kind of pressure on Russia. Of all the people in the world that can assert influence on Vladimir Putin, who is in his bunker and who is obsessed by uh, achieving greatness through the restoration of the Russian Empire, of all the people in the world who can talk sense to him, it's she. Will this be the moment that China becomes the peacekeeper for Europe? Or are we on the brink of World War Three? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, will China aid Russia's war? My name is Didi Tom, and I'm the Beijing-based correspondent for The Times of London, and I've been working for the paper for coming up five years now. Didi, we last spoke in the run-up to the Olympics. When they were actually held, when the opening ceremony happened, we knew it was going to be boycotted by a lot of Western leaders. But one big political figure who did turn up was President Putin. What were relations like between the two governments, between China and Russia? I think to understand the relationship between Beijing and the Moscow, we must keep in mind the China-US rivalry. So China has this kind of belief. U.S. is declining. China is rising. That's inevitable. And China doesn't want to be sort of the number two. And China sees Russia as some sort of a buffer or a partner in China's counter relationship to Washington. China basically needs a friend or needs some kind of supporter or backer for China to stand up against Washington, whether it should be, you know, the UN Security Council 
or some other kind of international forest. China needs a friend. So it was on February the 4th when the Winter Olympics started. And just hours before the Games, the opening ceremony, Putin flew into Beijing and had this very amicable, you know, talks. I mean, you can see from the footage. And then both guys, they were wearing smiles. They looked very relaxed. They came out with this kind of joint you know, statement to say, okay, we're going to support each other, shoulder to shoulder, like brothers. A relationship, it's called a comprehensive, you know, cooperative partnership with no limit, right? There's no ceiling how our relationship can grow. So that was on February the 4th. And 20 days later, we knew what happened. The Russian troops invaded Ukraine. On the 24th, when the invasion happened, what was the reaction in China? Maybe we should just talk about this like a few days before the invasion, you know, took place. Washington was warning, like, you know, it was imminent. The Russians were going to invade Ukraine. And then China, being a good friend of Russia, you know, China was saying, this is disinformation, this is fake news, right? You're provoking problems, you're just, you know, causing troubles. And then China basically was repeating the line. China was the amplifier of Moscow's voices. And then, you know, 24th came, right? We knew what happened. And then China still was, you know, Ukraine situation is Ukraine crisis. And we need to respect, you know, every country's sovereignty and the territory integrity, because that's actually, it's the core principle of China's foreign policy. Because in China says like, whenever it should be Xinjiang, Tibet, or Hong Kong, or Taiwan, China say, look, this is about sovereignty, territory, integrity. They cannot be, you know, violated. And then you, you will think, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, that should be the number one, right? But China very quickly say, look, we also have the security concerns, you know, NATO probably expanded, you know, too fast and too much like towards the east, right, to threaten Russia. So we need to also respect, you know, security concerns of all members. It's like China is trying to be neutral. But at the same time, the state media have really get up to send out those like pro-Russia like messages. Really? So the, when, when the Russians say, oh, we occupy, you know, Kiev and the Zelensky had, you know, fled. And the Chinese state media very quickly just you know, relay the message to the audiences here in China. So in the first few weeks of the war, Chinese state media was happily spreading fake news, reporting that Kiev had fallen, President Zelensky had fled, and the Russian forces were winning, all of which were quite clearly not true. When you're talking about this information, it could even be worse here in China because the censorship, like initially you could still see protests in Moscow, but there's no way here in China for anyone to come out to protest and to say like, you know, we're against the war, there should be no war. And rather, you know, if you're talking to people, they will say, oh, you know, oh, the Russia has been threatened, right? Okay, Ukraine has been comparing, you know, wow. Ukraine to this like ungrateful ex-wife. And then, you know, this is like the ex-husband being Russia, actually is trying to protect his ex-wife. Oh, was, wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite an analogy. And that, that's how it's being sold. Right. It was being in sold China. in this, like, it's not fair, you know, to say it's husband and you know, wife. By China's own standard, right, Ukraine is a sovereign country. It has the right to decide what it wants to do. But anyway, so the propaganda here, I think it's kind of very outrageous to the point of being absurd. 
Didi, that's so interesting because for us, you know, we're sort of seeing the official voice of China on the international stage, government representatives who are mm-hmm. doing their best to sound neutral. They are, right. you know, they've even recently used the word war. So they seem to condemn the war, but they won't condemn Russia. Bit of a high wire act, but they are sort of staying as neutral as possible. But it sounds like internally, that's not the message. Within China, internally, it's not the message. China always, they're very good at external propaganda when they're sending the message to the international community, right? China still cares about its image and Mm. reputation. But, you know, domestically, China is sending out this really, I think, it's very misleading message to its public. Even if you don't know the history or the background, a lot of people, they already got the message, like you are not supposed to support Ukraine. You're going to support Russia. And the, this kind of the whole culture of worshiping Putin is like everywhere in China, social media, like go Putin, Putin, you're the man, you can do it. We're worshiping, you're my hero forever. Wow. I mean, that's as astoundingly different to, to anything that's happening in the West, obviously. There's an interesting question. When China, if Beijing is going to shift, right, in any way, how is it going to explain to its domestic audience? You know, that's kind of sometimes I wonder like, hey, if the government is going to shift, how is it going to also to shape the public opinion here? Yeah. If the public opinion has been so much like stoked up. So stoked up to support Putin. Right, to support Putin, yeah. Do you think there will be a shift? Do you think China will move against Putin at some point? I doubt it. I really doubt it. So we knew, you know, over the weekend, it was this Chinese scholar and he is affiliated with the government. His name is Hu Wei. He came on, he wrote this article like, please, you know, don't be bundled with Putin. He actually is not saying you have to be against Russia, but don't, you know, bundle yourself with Putin. You're going to have lots of, you know, reputational damage to to the country, right? And then he, he is arguing this is a good opportunity for Beijing to pick the right side and use this opportunity to mend its relationship with the West. But going back to saying, you know, everything is guided by China's relationship with Washington. So as long as China-U.S. relationship is still bad, I really don't see any kind of major shift. I am Edward Lucas. I'm a Times columnist and I am a long-standing hawk on the threat from, first of all, the Soviet Union and then from the Kremlin. And we have been sadly vindicated in the hawkish corner by the events in Ukraine over the last couple of weeks. And Edward, back on February the 4th, as the Winter Olympics were just kicking off, so too was this new strategic alliance between Russia and China. But what had the relationship between the two countries been like before then? Well, we called it in my think tank report, which I wrote last year, Partnership Without Substance. And our point there was that they have a lot of overlapping interests and they also have a number of areas where they conflict and they've decided not to have arguments on things like the geopolitical orientation of Central Asia, where China has been trampling all over what many Russians would say was Russia's backyard. And there was also potential for friction in the Balkans. They haven't had any rows there. And instead, they were concentrating on things where there was clear common agenda, work on uh, space, some support for each other in international organizations, and quite a lot of just general bashing the West over things like the response to COVID. And of course, China was very cross about NATO's bombing of Yugoslavia. That is still something that the West never remembers and the Chinese never forget. And although 
Russia doesn't have the same heft as China. It has perhaps an even more anti-Westernism. And so you put that together and there's quite a lot of things where they're going to at least agree that whatever the West wants or whatever the United States wants, they don't want it. How has China reacted to, to the war in Ukraine? China doesn't like the war in Ukraine, and it didn't like the last one either. It um, never recognised Crimea as part of um, the Russian Federation, which, of course, it isn't in anyone's eyes, really, except Russia's. But if they were really friends, you would expect them to be supporting Russia's sort of geopolitical agenda in Europe. And, and they're not, really. I think they were prepared to tolerate a, a short, victorious war. And they liked very much the idea of the West being taught a lesson. But this is not going well for Russia, and it's actually not going well for China either. They hate high energy prices because they import most of their energy. They hate high food prices because they import most of their food. They worry about fertilizer shortages because that's the result of the interruptions to the natural gas supply and the high cost of natural gas. And they don't like anything that threatens more broadly global economic growth because they're very keen to keep living standards rising as a way of assuaging other tensions that beset China. I mean, talk us through how, how, how they, they reacted when the invasion first began and then how they've responded, certainly in the UN, since then. Well, they haven't condemned Russia outright, but they have, for example, now called it a war, which is if you do that in Russia, you get risk 15 years in prison. I saw a recent statement which said um, on Ukraine, the current situation is grave and China is deeply concerned and grieved. The pressing task is preventing tensions from escalating or even getting out of control. That doesn't sound like your best friend talking when you're in a fight. No. So there's clear distance. That doesn't mean that China's actually supporting the West and China didn't support Western sanctions at all. And as repeatedly said in Chinese official media that this whole thing is basically the West's fault for pushing Ukraine into NATO. And in the, from the, in the Chinese framing of this, there's never any idea that, that countries actually want to join NATO. It's seen entirely as a sort of Western-led expansionary project, which is just sort of scooping up countries and trying to encircle Russia. But there's no doubt this is not a, a great moment now for, for Putin, particularly since he's most recently asked China for help. And the response from Beijing seems to be a deafening silence rather than enthusiastic support. So I feel that Russia is increasingly isolated from China and China is increasingly distant from Russia. Edward, we're now being told that US intelligence sources certainly have told the Financial Times that China has agreed to give some military aid to Russia. What do you make of that? I think it's perfectly possible that Russia has asked China for stuff that China has got stockpiled, stuff that Russia has sold in the past would now be, be useful in the war. I'd be surprised if enough of it arrived to make a, a big difference. The real point here is how far China is willing to be seen to be involved in this. And although the FT story was quite confident Beijing was willing to send equipment to Moscow, um, they've also denied it. And so I think there's a, there's a cloud of ambiguity over this. But I think the, the, the real point is it shows how important China is. We're all wondering what China's up to. And that's the first time ever in European security that we've um, been worrying about the, the Chinese involvement. And it sort of underlines the point that China is now de facto become a, a player in European security. Were you surprised that Moscow turned to Beijing looking for military aid? Why do you think they did it? What in particular are they after? I think that Putin is in a real pickle militarily. He doesn't have the 
people and he doesn't have the stuff. He doesn't have the equipment that you need to fight a really big war against what's really quite a big country. And you really need getting on for a million soldiers if you're going to do that the old-fashioned way. Putin obviously thought he was going to be greeted as a liberator rather than as an occupier. So he wildly miscalculated the forces and the military plan hasn't worked. And there are some people who say that the Ukrainians are on the verge of blunting the offensive to the point that Russia is going to be in a real military difficulty and the tide could turn. That may be too optimistic, but there's no doubt that his way out, if he doesn't want to escalate and start using uh, chemical weapons or even nuclear weapons, his way out is to get more people and more stuff and more equipment. Now, he's tried to get some more people from Syria, and that will help up to a point, but the Syrians aren't going to be able to give him tanks or lorries or anything like that. So that's why he's appealing for military assistance to the Chinese. And have they had sort of military pacts in the past? Have they had a relationship of supporting each other with military aid? Not really, no. There's been arms sales, which is obviously a sign of some kind of friendship. But there's a sort of something verging on contempt in Chinese policymaking circles, because they have actually been pretty good at doing what they do in terms of building infrastructure. You know, they build more high-speed rail in a year than Russia has built under the entire time that Putin's been in charge. So they, there's a certain question mark over the competence of the Russian state. And I think they also don't really like this uh, sort of bellicose imperialist approach to the neighbours. And Although China likes um, leaning on its neighbours, they're pretty sensitive to the idea of territorial integrity, not least because there's some question marks over their own territorial integrity. So mm. once that gets on the agenda, you start asking what price Tibet and do you really own Taiwan and things like that. So for all these reasons, there's, there's some underlying tensions, which are particularly there on the Chinese side. On the Russian side, there's basically just fear because... China is just 10 times bigger than Russia in population terms. And China used to be way, way poorer. We used to have Chinese students coming to Moscow and gawping at the fantastic achievements of Soviet infrastructure and the amazing Moscow metro and skyscrapers. And my goodness, and back home, people barely have shoes. And now it's the other way around. China has become a, a real economic success story and Russia is basically stagnant. So there's a lot of, of sort of inferiority complex on the Russian side, which, which goes quite deep. And Edward, as you said, China doesn't seem happy with this war, but they haven't officially condemned it. And we do now learn that there are Chinese state media has journalists on the front line embedded with Russian troops. So presumably the message that's going back to China is more sympathetic to the Russian side. So, you know, how should we in the West understand where China is right now in terms of this war? Well, I'd say opinions shifting. There was a very interesting piece by a man called Hu Wei, who's the vice chairman of the Public Policy Research Centre of the Councillor's Office of the State Council, which is one of those sort of slightly bureaucratic um, positions that doesn't have an exact counterpart here. But the it, it's certainly a view that wouldn't be expressed without the consent of the Chinese authorities, because he's an official. And he said that China must withdraw its support for Putin and publicly side with the West. So I think that there's considerable disquiet in China, partly because of the precedent that it sets, partly because of the economic effects which we've discussed, but also because it's rejuvenating the West. Mm. The big assumption that Putin had was after Afghanistan, the West was bust. And this has been a long-standing assumption of the Chinese as well. That there's enormous divisions both in the Pacific and at the Atlantic. And the Western economic model doesn't work. There's no political will. And the whole thing's basically living on borrowed time. And China's peaceful rise will gradually bring China to the point that it's the most powerful country in the world. 
And that has changed very dramatically over the last two years. We've seen a revival of the transatlantic alliance, rather oddly with Europe sort of, and Britain beating the drum a bit harder than the United States. So the United States a bit in the backseat. The Germans suddenly saying they're going to spend 2%. The European Union sort of going overnight from sort of adolescence to adulthood when it comes to security policy. And and people around the world are noticing, and the Taiwanese, for example, every building in Taiwan seems to be bathed in Ukrainian blue and yellow. And this is a very big deal for the Chinese. This is a potential game changer if the West is back in business. And they don't want that to continue. So I think that there's a, a lot of people saying, hey, this is really not going in a good direction. How can we get Putin off this path and onto something that will close the whole thing down? And, and does this make it much harder for China to think about doing anything with Taiwan just because they've seen that the West, as you say, has suddenly galvanised? I think it certainly does make it harder in several ways. One is it's made the Taiwanese think we can actually defend ourselves. And there's a sort of new note of military self-confidence about how the Taiwanese talk. They've seen Ukraine seeing off a country which was you know, three and a half times mm. bigger. Now, obviously, Taiwan, with whatever it is, 23 million people, is much smaller relative to China than Ukraine is. But on the other hand, Taiwan's a much richer country. and It's got much more advanced weapons, and it's been practicing this to some extent for ages. And it has the Americans at its back in a sort of quasi-NATO relationship. So I think the, the, the Taiwanese have, are both slightly worried by the fact that you know, we're in an era where big countries attack small ones, but also enheartened by the idea that small countries actually can resist and that the West is not as completely useless as one might have assumed. And, and I think more, more generally, Taiwan has become much more aware of Eastern Europe. And there's now you know, a Czech think tank has its Taipei office to encourage East European countries to stand up to Chinese influence in Eastern Europe um, by boosting their ties with Taipei. Eastern Europe is now a very difficult area for the Chinese in almost everywhere, every country except Hungary and the, the Western Balkans, because the countries that want to curry American favour, or maybe just care about democracy, are standing up pr pretty hard to Chinese influence. And you know, Ukraine is part of this trend in a way, and China doesn't welcome it. I suppose that explains um, those scenes over the weekend with huge street protests in Taipei in support of Ukraine. I mean, in many ways, you can see that this war that Russia has started has actually really backfired for the Chinese. I think it's backfired in all sorts of ways. I mean, it's obviously crashed the Russian economy. It's de demolished Putin's 22-year project of making Russia into a stable country that was highly integrated with the outside world in all sorts of useful sporting and cultural and other ways. So that's bad. He's made Russia look like a pariah state. And then that makes it much harder for anyone to do business with him. So the Chinese banks, for example, are saying, hang on, secondary sanctions from the United States, no thanks. So we won't be helping you dodge the European and American financial economic blockade. China sees the benefits of playing a long, slow game and staying in Western world structures. And Russia is painfully discovering the price of what happens when you step outside them. But in China, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is being seen by a lot of the public as a blueprint for how China could aggressively take over Taiwan. I think in China, People are seeing what Russia is doing to Ukraine, and then they kind of very quickly, they relate to Taiwan. If Russia can do something like this, which means probably China can do something to Taiwan, and that there's a lot of support among the public for China to unify with Taiwan. They think there's nothing wrong with that. They think really Taiwan is part of the, the member's Chinese public and looking at what's going on over there. 
And you know, China was a oh Ukraine and Taiwan they're not comparable. But we all know, you know, here the members of public they're thinking, hey, you know, this may be something we can do, right, to take back Taiwan by force. Where will this all end? And will the war in Ukraine be a defining moment for China's place in the world? That's coming up in a moment. But first, meet my colleague. I'm Matthew Campbell. Foreign Features Editor at the Sunday Times. I've always had a hunger for news, finding out things about parts of the world away from the beaten track. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of the Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. For China is one of the the difficulties with this war, their their previous relationship with Ukraine. I mean, tell us a bit about that. I think most people aren't necessarily aware of the relations between the two. China had done quite well in Ukraine. It invested quite a bit. It had bought the Motorsik aviation plant, um, among other things. And they were interested in, in the sort of east-west infrastructure links across Ukraine to hedge their bets a bit with the ones across Russia. So they were playing a quiet but um, satisfactory role in Ukraine. That all began to fall apart when the Americans got cross about the Chinese investment there and got the Ukrainians to chuck out the Chinese from Motorzik, and that was a, a blow for the Chinese. But that's all changed now. They, Russia is flattening Ukraine. The Chinese students are in danger in Ukraine. That's you know, very unpleasant. China likes to look after when its students when it's abroad, and the Russians didn't seem to take particular account of the fact there might be Chinese students in places like Kharkiv when they started bombing it. So there's a you know, humanitarian um, sort of national pride issue there, and the economic one. And the feeling that this is a country being this is being disintegrated, and and China does like stability. And if if China was to supply weapons for for Russia, if they were to sort of step forward and start providing some form of aid, how would the West respond? There's a lot of talk about World War Three, yes. which one can argue has already started. I think you've got a clear Chinese involvement on the Russian side. This would be very serious, and you would see a. You know, enormous epochal shift in Western thinking where we'd be going back to the sort of 1950s where we'd have to treat Russia and China as if they were some kind of block and you would see huge demands for accelerated decoupling 
with China on, on one side, but it will be uh, there'll be the most in, enormous um, series of dilemmas for Western policymakers because China is so vastly more important than Russia. You can basically, you know, with a few pinch points on things like natural gas, you can basically get along without Russia. You cannot get along without China without the most enormous economic shock. And it's really interesting that you sort of say, you know, we're already in World War Three. It's just not kinetic. It's not a military battle for us at the moment. Is there a possibility that that might change? If there was Chinese support, for example, would NATO feel the need to do more? I don't think this is likely, but hypothetically, if you had some Chinese troops in Ukraine, even doing logistic support or something like that, and they get hit by an American-made weapon fired by a Ukrainian, I suppose you could get into some sort of confrontation there. It's quite hard to see how this is going to happen, really, because it's a long way from China. You'd have to, China would put stuff onto rail trucks and ship. And what Russia really needs more than anything else is lorries. They are very, very short of, of lorries or trucks, as the Americans would say. And they're conscripting garbage trucks, as far as we can see, to try and get supplies to oh, them, wow. make the logistics work. So, I mean, you could imagine 10,000 lorries coming from China. I can see that the Chinese could supply some spare munitions. I'd be very surprised if we saw um, Chinese boots on the ground, unless we get peacekeepers. And one thing that I do think is worth thinking is what happens if China twists Russia's arm and says, right, here's the deal. You withdraw. We put in UN peacekeepers with a large number of Chinese. Now, that would be an absolute game changer. China's never done anything like that before in the real world, although that sort of thing does happen in Chinese fiction, in films and, and books. Does it? That could be a thing. And then you would have what happens if Ukrainian partisans start shooting at the Chinese peacekeepers. That would be an a, you know, interesting dilemma. I think China, I mean, there's an argument, and which to some extent I do kind of agree, China, this can be opportunity for China, right, to play a very constructive role. If China should come out to say, look, you know, to persuade Putin to withdraw the troops. And I think that would be like great for everyone, right? And then, you know, China is going to win lots of respect. And China can use this opportunity to mend its relationship with the West. And then China will have a bigger say on global affairs. And I think that's the argument by some of those, even the state-backed, government-affiliated scholars here in China, within the system, within the political system. You know, there are people saying, look, you know, we have opportunity here, right? The world is looking at us to see what we can do. And then, you know, if we should choose the right side, actually, we are going to be respected and then we're going to have a better say. And it will be beneficial to the country. Again, maybe it's wishful thinking because, as I said, that the article arguing for Beijing to, you know, detach itself uh, from Putin, that article has been censored within China. That's an indication. It's not something Beijing is going to do. Would there be an appetite in China, you know, given all of the, the propaganda that's out there, given how much they're lauding Putin, if it came to it, if providing supplies to Russia led to an escalation with NATO, for example, I mean, would China be willing to go to war over Ukraine? I don't, I hope not. And I really doubt China is really going to do that. Maybe you will do that, you know, on a very limited scale or to the point that China is not being seen as doing something like this. You know, if China can find a way to do it, to help without being caught out, 
that's what I'm kind of thinking. Maybe that's a possibility, a scenario, like China will do something like this, that they will send something, you know, supplies over there, just not being caught out. That's maybe it's the, the way to do it. But openly to do that, to be caught red-handed, man, I, <laughs> the consequences, right? You know, we're just going to see even worse, you know, China-U.S. relationship. And I just don't know. It's sort of, it's a free fall, you know. It has been a free fall, like, for quite some time, right? And you think, you know, it cannot be worse, right? And then it just, you know, it gets worse, you know, China-U.S. relationship. And then, you know, the, the fear before the war in, in Ukraine, I think there were a lot of fears is, you know, if there should be war, there could be war between China and the U.S. And I think that's something we need to be worried about. You know, what if China really wants to do something, you know, to take action, to have to attack, you know, Taiwan? And mm. then how U.S. is going to respond? And will that trigger a bigger war? And then we're not talking about Russia. Russia, you know, let's be honest, economical-wise, Russia is not that strong. But China, yeah, yeah I mean... You know, maybe the Western governments, they feel like they can afford to sanction you know, Russia, but can they afford to sanction China? And it does feel like just within the course of a few weeks, you know, since that moment on the 4th of February when the Olympics started, since that moment, it feels like the entire world order has been completely shaken up. What do you think it looks like at the end of this? We don't know. We just don't know. This is this could end with Putin's regime collapsing, an enormously vigorous and resurgent Ukraine bouncing back and becoming the uh, the sort of avatar of a new spirit of 1989 and proving that democracy can win. We could see Ukraine turning into a giant Syria with extraordinary human suffering and destabilizing waves of refugees. We could see Russia using victory in Ukraine as a springboard to go on and uh, attack and discredit NATO. It's all up in the air. We just don't know at the moment. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Beijing correspondent for The Times, Didi Tang, and Edward Lucas, a Times columnist. You can read more of Didi and Edward's work online with a subscription. Just go to thetimes.co.uk. The producers today were Ben Mitchell and Will Rowe, The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.